Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your UCARE podcast. UCARE? Urticaria Centers of Reference and Excellence, and that's what we do. We spread knowledge on urticaria. My name is Marcus, Marcus Mao. I'm joining you live from Berlin, the Charité UCARE, and I have with me today, and I'm very happy about that, Anna, Anna Jimenez Arnau from Barcelona. How are you, Anna? Fine. Little yes. bit tired because we were working all the morning, but ready to follow you in this uh, conversation. This is the fate of your tcariologists, Anna. Lots of work, but also high rewards. Today, we want to talk about new insights into the pathology of chronic urticaria and how that can help to guide our treatment decisions. Um, we really have made a lot of progress on understanding urticaria as a mast cell-driven disease, and we realize that it is much more than histamine that comes out of mast cells. Of course, it is histamine, and that's in part responsible. So we want to focus on some of the other inflammatory mediators, Anna, what's your top list, your top five list of mediators that you see as relevant in chronic urticaria? Obviously, histamine, platelet activating factor, PAF, IL-5, IL-6, IL-4, TNF, but mainly histamine and PAF. Only, only five. I know the list is very long and uh, there are <laughs> many receptors and molecules that are now uh, being explored as targets of novel treatments. Histamine and PUF, that's because you're a PUF fan. I know you work on PUF in the lab, uh, in your clinical research. Tell us a little bit more about PUF. What is PUF? Oh, activating factor is a special mediator that is involved in the chemo-attraction of other cells to the, to the inflammatory infiltrate and has a main role in anaphylaxis, creating uh, the inflammatory infiltrate. And platelet activating factor can be addressed also with the, is there, is there, is expressed in our wills, Mm-hmm. and is expressed in the blood of our patients who suffer CASU, mm-hmm. then uh, is there. And it was, uh, well, I, my story with PAF started when I was involved in the clinical trials for some anti-H1 who has also an anti-PAF activity for its registration. And when, uh, how this anti-H1 really had a good affinity for the histamine receptor, but enormous affinity for the PAF receptor. Mm-hmm. And we have this drug in the market. And, this, is, uh, this is rupatidine, Anna, right? We will talk about uh, that as a solution, but let's uh, describe the, the, the problem or the situation a little bit more. So histamine is pre-stored in mast cells uh, and then released when they degranulate. And as part of that process of degranulation, um, PAF, and uh, others, uh, leukotrienes and prostaglandins get produced within seconds and then also released basically in parallel with the histamine. 
Now, where does this puff go? Does it go to the blood vessels like histamine? Does it hit sensory nerves? How does it contribute to the development of signs and symptoms of chronic urticaria? Initially, it was uh, described as a chemotractic uh, mediator for other cells. But uh, coming from the analysis that we've done in the transcriptomes, uh, microarray analysis confirmed by QPCR in the overexpressed uh, genes in the will compared with the non-national skin and healthy, contro healthy controls, healthy donors, we found that the overexpression of IL-4 receptor in the hive. And looking for how it's expressed by immunohistochemistry in the tissue in the wheel compared with the compared with the non-lesional skin and with healthy skin, normally PAF is expressed in the cutaneous nerves in everyone. But in the hives and also in the base layer of the epidermis, but in the hives is also overexpressed in the endothelium. Mm -hmm. PAF receptor, remember, PAF, PAF receptor, and also in the inflammatory infiltrate. And we tried, when we tried to identify, because it was intracytoplasmatic, when, it, when we tried to identify which type of inflammatory infiltrate, is it a CD43, then our lymphocytes, then in an, you know very well, Marcus, that PAF is very easy to measure by microdialysis. We've tried many times in Coltoticaria because it's, it's, it's easy destroyed. But re, based on this uh, indirect fact that the path receptor is overexpressed in the wheel, we found it, it overexpressed by immunohistochemistry in the tissue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you, take, if you take PATH, and we, uh, we did this, uh, uh, Anna, uh, and you inject it into the skin, it produces a wheel, no? And um... by, by itself. By itself. Remember, remember yeah. it is it is a will that is independent of the instrument. Yeah. Remember, and it was a, a will which it was a little bit different. It appeared slowly, with less flare. Yeah. Remember, and less itch, but by itself, puff induces a will, and puff is released by the muscles. I think that's very important that these are really two parallel pathways. It's uh, not the puff activating mast cells to release histamine. Uh, that doesn't really happen. And they are a little bit distinct in the wheels that they create. And of course, as part of the downstream uh, chain of events of release of puff, we do see the migration of eosinophils, basophils, neutrophils coming to the skin because it is uh, chemo-attractive. It's super itchy when you inject puff into the skin. And painful. Yeah. And painful. And painful. So let's see that as being established. Puff as a pro-inflammatory mediator makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. to suspect that puff plays a role in chronic spontaneous urticaria, maybe also in chronic inducible urticaria. You referred to our study in, um, in yes, in cold urticaria, where it clearly uh, was a signal that we picked up. What about the other end of this equation? Puff comes out, it needs to find the puff receptor that is upregulated in chronic spontaneous urticaria. Um, how can we, let's say, uh, be sure that um, blocking puff with an anti-puff like repatidin 
contributes to the pathogenesis of chronic urticaria. Um, uh, and the reason I ask is because there is very new evidence that comes out from um, uh, several studies, actually, looking at PAF levels that are elevated in chronic urticaria. Enlighten us a little bit. Why are you convinced that PAF is important? Well, PAF is there. PAF is increased in the blood of the patients who suffer CSU. Then... Um, uh, we've done an experience in the department and we've measured Vializa platelet activating factor in the blood from chronic spontaneous urticaria patients, which are refractory to the anti-H1, which are severe. Yeah. And uh, it was there. You know that uh, it was very difficult for every one of us to assess uh, PATH by itself, but there is a previous experience done by the Korean group by Yen with 200 patients compared to the healthy controls, 100 of them. Mm -hmm. And they found that uh, they found that there was an increased uh, level, significantly increased level of PAF circulating in the blood, especially in non-responders to the anti-H1. Then uh, this, though this is a very big sample, we've tried to um, we did the same at the at the department with a, a little sample, and we found exactly the same. No? Then re really, PAV is overexpressed in the blood in patients with CSU. Initially, we've addressed our research in cold to decay, which is a very specific one, but in severe chronic spontaneous urticaria is a better model to to try to obtain. It. It, that's because it's fun to work with cold urticaria. Uh, it's not fun to have it at all, but for us as urticariologists, it is a model disease because it allows us to induce the wheel yes. very reproducibly and to look inside the skin at what's going on. Anna, you, you referred to the response um, uh, of, of chronic spontaneous urticaria patients, and I remember a fairly certain publication where PUF was measured just like you did, and where patients who responded to a classical H1 antihistamine, where these patients, um, they uh, uh, had uh, lower levels, or I should turn this around, those who did not respond, those who still had a treatment need when the histamine receptor was blocked, they had very high PAF levels higher than those who responded. Is that, a, is that a good argument to say we need to block both H1 and PAF receptors? I think yes. What I think a, yes. And, yeah. the, and this is a, is a suggestion that it was done also by Yen to use an anti-PAF by itself. The fact is to use an anti-PAF by itself. Then we have a pure anti-PAF. You know, there was a all development of some antipath years ago. Yes. Stop it. Yeah. The fact is that because one thing is to block both, we need to block the receptor of the H1 receptor, which is very difficult is to demonstrate when uh, what drug, which is a very good anti-H1 receptor blocker, is is better because it has an antipath activity too. This is very difficult to demonstrate compare. Difficult. With an anti-H1. 
difficult to demonstrate. We know that the um, uh, other antihistamines do not have anti-PAF activity. So that's a clear picture. Uh, we also know that repatinin is the only antihistamine that also has anti-PAF activity, also a clear picture. But we do not have uh, a PAF-only antagonist. Exactly. Uh, and, and that would help. But in the end, you know, if we want to make patients benefit from blocking histamine and puff, it is probably a good idea to have one molecule that has uh, double activity, and uh, that is uh, rupatidin. Now, you have done the key trials in chronic urticaria with uh, rupatidin, showing in more than 50% of patients, more than 50% wheel reduction. So quite a, quite impressive. Um, uh, where do you see, from a clinical point of view, no mechanism of action we have now established is nice. Where do you see, from a clinical point of view, the benefit in using uh, PAF uh, and antihistamine blockade, rupatidin, in chronic urticaria? Well, it has uh, my impression about this special uh, drug is that has more than antihistamine effect. That means it's also anti-inflammatory. That means it's also inhibiting the release of uh, histamine, the, the mediators from the muscles. That is more anti-inflammatory, more constant, and more, in fact, better. Uh, we can discuss uh, about the secondary events that it has mm -hmm. been really uh, addressed to rupatadine when we updose the dose for the anti-age one, but you did a very good work yeah. comparing, remember with uh, Karsten, uh, two pills to do four, to four pills and the adverse events with the, that has been uh, described with Cetirizine also, that means uh, with, when we increase the dose for the anti-H1, which are at second generation, in the, in the fact that they can do sedation. And in your work, you demonstrate that these side effects are not so, so important. No? For me, the best thing is I'm confident with the drug because it's, I feel it's much more potent than others, than Evastin, than Desloratadine on others. Uh, that's an interesting uh, clinical observation. I'm glad you shared that. Um, uh, I, we use, uh, of course, antihistamines and, and repetitin as a double agent uh, quite a bit and are, are most happy with the ones that can be updosed when the standard doesn't work and can also be used in children. And that's what I find especially um, attractive about rupatidin as a treatment option that it has really been thoroughly studied in in children. Um, is that important for you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know very well that uh, we have uh, we have a lot of anti-age one, which are uh, primary primary generation are still too much use, and we have uh, some a lot of second generation uh, that we can use. And uh, there is a little bit of fight between them in order to report a safety profile. And the, the fact that it was uh, really developed in children and was demonstrated was effective and more effective than the other than some others which are viable, for me is an argument to yeah, obviously to to believe on safety. But you know there are some patients who has an idiosyncratic response to the anti H1, sure. and we don't have. 90% uh, 
90%, uh, we have patients for any circumstances, that means, who respond different in a different way. But those are not numbers. Um, the numbers are that are in general safe, even if you have those, those. And you use constantly, no? That means in continuous way, how it should be used. Look, Anna, uh, I had a slight suspicion that you were going to say puff, but maybe let's spend one minute. Uh, we're looking today at uh, TSLP and IL-33 and uh, IL-5, IL-4, IL-13, IL-17. The list is long, and I know how difficult it was for you to pick your top five. Um, uh, if you had... Um, a mechanism of action that you wanted to be really explored in chronic urticaria, uh, what would it be? One that is not right now in clinical trials. Would it be the X2, mass-related gene protein coupled receptor X2? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, will be, no, will be, no, the, the ideal will be, my ideal will be to identify in each patient which key is active inducing them the urticaria, you know, for example, the high affinity Ig receptor can be activated by IgE, but you know that Altrister described also by IgA and IgM, yes. and you know you have this mass-related G protein X2, which is not mediated by IgE, and I'm sure is involved in many of them, then the idol will be for me to have for each patient which is the key activated. This will be impossible. Then the idol will be to have something safe that could inhibit the expression of all of them from inside. But uh, absolutely, the, the the goal is good, Anna. No, don't don't step back from that big goal. Individualized treatment where we can predict which approach is the best for every patient that's great let's not uh, let's not uh, stop short of that it is a bit of science fiction today but i think yeah. it will be possible and we're moving that way um by and large now um as it is our time is up anna it, it always goes so quickly when the two of us talk but i'm not going to let you go without bringing things back to your favorite molecule if you had anna and don't get too excited because this is a theoretical question. Five million euros spend on PAF research. What would you do? What is your burning question um, that would uh, um, be on the top of your list of projects to fund? Five. I will Five. try to demonstrate the evidence of the presence of PAF in any step of the pathogenesis, funding basic research, and I will try to demonstrate its clinical efficacy compared with other anti-H1. That means a lot of money because you need a big, big, big sample in order if you want to demonstrate if it's more effective than the other anti-H1 facing our patients, then we should collect a special subgroup of patients, something like this thing on this. I think it's really very difficult, but if you have so, so many money, then we can maybe found the basic research and also try it from the clinical point of view to demonstrate its uh, efficacy. Because at the end, what it, what it works is the, the efficacy in the clinical 
in the clinical trials and the and the real world practice. Okay? Absolutely, and millions and millions, way more than five, would uh, benefit uh, in terms of patients who are right now uh, facing a very difficult time with their chronic urticaria. Well. Anna, I'm going to start saving up, and uh, I hope that at least um, uh, by providing uh, network support and partnership, we can start to address these big goals that we have. Thank you so much for joining today, and uh, uh, thank you for your insights on the role of PAF, PAF receptor, and of rapatidin uh, in chronic urticaria. And for thank you. you. <laughs> and folks, this is all the time we have today. Thank you very much for tuning back in to this episode on the pathophysiology of chronic urticaria and the role of PAF with Ana, Ana Jimenez Arnau from Barcelona. If you have questions uh, like this one that you would like us to discuss here in All Things Urticaria, do reach out to us. Uh, let us know what is interesting and important to you and tune back in to the next episode of All Things Urticaria, your UCARE podcast. Until then, stay well, be safe. Bye-bye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.